I am Jackie Robinson Ivy, and I have the distinct privilege and honor of serving as chair of the City Club of Chicago. So we welcome you to the City Club. That was your opportunity to clap. Okay. We have so much going on, and I'm going to move very quickly. You all can keep eating. Um, before we start our program, maybe I'm going to ask you to hold off just for a second. Before we start our program, I'd like to welcome the legendary tenor, Patty Holman, representing the Chicago Cork Association, to the stage to kick us off on the right note. Patty? I'm going to step down. I'm going to step down. Soon. Thank you, Jackie. And uh, I don't know about legend, but of course, if you're from Cork, you'd have to say legend, you know. Uh, but again, Tarnishta and, and all your staff, Tafail Tiroiv, Gideon Gahar, Chicago. And, you know, it's lovely to hear your, you know, the, the story. We all have a story when we come out here to America. And, um, you know, we look around today and we look at our ancestors' journey. I'd like to share this particular uh, story, and it tells the story of the first person who was recorded coming through Ellis Island, and her name is Annie Moore, and this is called Isle of Hope. And if you know it, please join in with me. On the first day of January 1892, they opened Ellis Island and they let the people through. And the forest across the threshold in that Isle of Hope and Tears was any more from Ireland who was all but fifteen years. Isle of Hope, Isle of Tears, Isle of Freedom, Isle of Fears, yet it's not the Isle I left behind. That Isle of Hunger, Isle of Pain, Isle you'll never see again. But the Isle of Home is always on your mind. In her little bag she carried all her past and history and hopes for the future in this land of liberty. And courage is the passport when your old world disappears. For there's no future in the past when you're only 15 years. Isle of hope, Isle of tears, Isle of freedom, Isle of fears, but it's not the Isle I left behind. That Isle of hunger, Isle of pain, Isle you'll never see again. But the Isle of home is always on your mind. When they closed down Ellis Island in 1943, 17 million people had come there for sanctuary. And in springtime, when I went there and I looked out on its shores, I thought of how it must have been when you're only 15 years. Join in if you can now. Isle of hope, Isle of tears, Isle of freedom, Isle of fears, but it's not the Isle I left behind. That Isle of hunger, Isle of pain, Isle you'll never see again, yet the Isle of hope is always on your mind. Yes, the Isle of hope is always on your mind. Amazing. Thank you, Patty. Another round for him, please. What a wonderful way to begin our program, and, oh, please, Lord, don't let me mess this up. 
Chad Malai Falcha. <laughs> Yay! Kevin is clapping, so it must mean I said it partly right. Thank you. So that's as much Gaelic as I know. I want Dan to be proud of me that I at least got that right. If you are looking for him, we are um, missing Dan Gibbons. For those of you who do not know, he is probably more sick than we are that he's not here today. Um, He is attending to some family business. His wife is um, getting an award at work, and we all want him there because we all know the word, right? Happy? There you go. And we love Kate, so we want him to be there. Um, So we're getting ready to have a presentation. But before Brian comes, I would like to also welcome, and if they might stand, I don't know where they're sitting, but Queen Grace O'Connor and her court are here. I don't know where they are, though. Oh, there they are. I'm excited because Alderman Hopkins just invited me to the parade, so... I'm coming, and I look forward to seeing you all. Um, at this point, we have a special presentation from Brian McFartland. Brian? Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Brian McFartland. Uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, be uh, the lead advance for President uh, Biden's recent trip to Ireland. And uh, we got to go to the beautiful hometown of the Tanista in Collinford. So I'd like to present him with a picture of that particular trip, but also the two commemorative posters from both of President Biden and Vice President Biden's historic trip to Ireland. So that would be here. If you come up, Tanista, we'd love to give this to you. Thank you so much. Brian, thank you. Tanisha, I'm sure you've got people to take care of that for you. Um, I'm going to let you all get back to your meal, but I'd also like to um, thank some very special people. We take nothing for granted here at the City Club of Chicago, and while we are elated that the Irish Fellowship Group is here and the Irish Funds, we want to make sure that we acknowledge all of our sponsors. So I will run through them. Um, The Irish Fellowship Club of Chicago, the Ireland Funds, Plumbers Local 130 UA, and um, Chicago's... St. Patrick's Day Parade Committee, the Consulate General of Ireland, my friend Kevin Byrne, Flood Brothers, Loyola University, and World Business Chicago. Can we have a round of applause for all of our sponsors? Thank you all so much. It gives me great pleasure to welcome you all here today. As a partner of the City Club, I'm honoured to be here on behalf of the Ireland Funds and also in partnership with the Irish Fellowship Club to introduce Tonishta Michal Martin and welcome him to Chicago. Tonishta, we are so privileged that you have allowed time in your very busy schedule to join us here in Chicago and I know we're all keen to hear more from you on the issues affecting Ireland at home and across the globe. I also want to welcome Secretary General of the Department of Foreign Affairs, Joe Hackett, and Consul General <laughs> Consul General of the Consulate of Ireland here in Chicago, our very good friend, Kevin Byrne. <laughs> and I extend a warm welcome to Alderman Brian Hopkins, who also joins us today. Thank you. The Ireland Funds has enabled the many friends of Ireland in the US to constructively express their goodwill back to the island of Ireland. 47 years on, the results of that goodwill has been outstanding. Countless lives have been changed for the better, and the Ireland Funds has grown to become the largest network of friends of Ireland. The Ireland Funds has raised almost $700 million to support thousands of outstanding organisations and initiatives across the island of Ireland. Funds raised are contributed by private individuals, corporations and foundations. Thank you to all our generous supporters and friends here in Chicago. I know we have many of you in the room today and we so appreciate your continued support and your love of Ireland. 
Once we hear some remarks from the Tanishta, Marlon Gardner is going to join him on stage to host a chat and facilitate a question and answer session. Most of you probably know Marlon. Marlon is the CEO of Navy Pier. She's a favourite speaker at the City Club. She's a board member of the Ireland Funds, a long-time board member of the Irish Fellowship Club, and that makes her the perfect person to facilitate this discussion. And you, our audience members, are welcome to write out questions on the cards that are at each table, and hopefully we can weave those into the conversation later on. So please hand any questions you might have to staff or bring them up onto the stage. Before that portion of the programme, we're going to hear some remarks from our special guest. Michal Martin is a Fianna Fáil politician who is servicing as, serving as Tanishta, Minister for Foreign Affairs, Minister for Defence since December 2022. He served as Taoiseach from 2020 to 2022 and has been leader of Fianna Fáil since January 2011. He has been a TD for Cork South Central since 1989. Born in Cork, he initially worked as a teacher before entering politics. The Tanishta has had many achievements in his political career. One noteworthy achievement... In 2004, during his time as Health Minister, he introduced a ban on tobacco smoking in all Irish workplaces, making Ireland the first country in the world to introduce a full workplace smoking ban. And the rest of the world followed suit. Could you imagine smoking in your workplace now? The Tanishta has worked very hard in his career in developing peace in Northern Ireland and in particular on understanding the Unionist perspective. And I can think, we all can thank him now when you see the fruits of that labour, now that the government is back up and running in Northern Ireland, thankfully. On a personal note, as a Northerner and someone who lived through the troubles in Northern Ireland, I want to thank you for all the work and effort, and I would say a lot of frustration, and there might have been tears, but everything has went into developing that peace and stability there, so thank you very much. You're also, you're also a great friend of the Ireland Funds, and I want to thank you for your, your commitment and your support over the years. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a very warm City Club of Chicago welcome to Antonista Michael Martin. Stephen, good afternoon. I was going to be in for Falta in Uv, is Privlet August and Ord and Scodumse, a lawyer and Shaw, August Chance Lortliv. Just want to thank you all very much for your very warm welcome and um, in our Gaelic language have articulated how much of a privilege it is for me, uh, representing the Irish government, uh, to be here, to have the opportunity to speak with you and hopefully I'll get around later to talk to you uh, individually and personally. I want to thank Anya for her very kind remarks uh, and um, it's always good to hear kind remarks every now and again in politics. Um, so I do appreciate that, Anya. Uh, and also I want to thank Paddy Homan um, for that wonderful uh, rendition. Um, <clears throat> And not only thanking him because of the prowess of his voice, but he also happens to come from Cork City, uh, but a particular part of Cork City, which is Fair Hill, uh, famed in song and in story. But for my family, it also has a lot of resonance because uh, there were great singers in Fair Hill, and there was a good few boxers in Fair Hill as well. And my late father was a, a boxer. He boxed for Ireland, and um, uh, Fair Hill was a big hill. And that's the hill he ran up and down when he was training for his boxing um, bouts um, and so on like that. So it's tremendous to be with you, Paddy, and thank you for that wonderful rendition. And I want to thank Jackie uh, and, and all of you for the warmth of, of your welcome. Uh, as many of you will know, uh, Ireland prides itself as the land of the Cade Mila Foilte, or 100,000 welcomes. And I've only been in Chicago since yesterday evening, but I must say you more than match Ireland for the warmth of your welcome. Again, I thank 
the City Club uh, for hosting me here today, uh, and Jackie uh, Robinson Ivy for your introduction uh, to, to, to the proceedings. The City Club provides a forum to engage with those Chicagoans who make this city such an enterprising, vibrant, and civic minded place. I want to thank the Irish Fellowship, the Ireland Funds, and the Parade Committee for presenting today's programme with the City Club. This spirit of partnership is what makes the Irish community here in Chicago so vibrant and so welcoming. Today, I look forward to sharing my thoughts on the value we in Ireland place on the relationship we have with Chicago, on the opportunities we see ahead for our partnership, and on our plans to invest in that future. But first, I would like to speak about the strength of civic community life in our Irish diaspora here. I've had the opportunity to meet with representatives from a number of the Irish organisations that make the Irish community here in Chicago so rich and so vibrant. Of course, the Irish Fellowship, an organisation which has contributed to the Irish community and the life of the city since before the founding of the Irish state. We have the Ireland Funds, which celebrates the contribution of Irish America and supports charities and good causes throughout the island of Ireland. The St. Patrick's Day Parade Committee puts Irish Chicago on the map every year with a display of Chicago Irish pride that is nothing short of iconic. Chicago has not one but two great Irish community spaces with Gaelic Park in the south and the Irish American Heritage Centre in the north, which I will visit later today. At the core of every strong community are community organisations and the volunteers that give them life. In Chicago, there are such organisations, too many to name here, but know that your contribution is recognised. Know that your contribution is deeply valued. I come to you today after a busy programme of meetings in DC with members of the Biden administration, with our friends on Capitol Hill and with business leaders. It would come as no surprise that my engagements there focused on the many challenges the world faces. We are navigating a period of global instability in which political and economic assumptions held for generations are being challenged in worrying ways. And yet, amidst all of this uncertainty, the US-Ireland relationship is a source of hope and promise. Hope and promise that helped deliver the Good Friday Agreement. The long-standing engagement of successive presidents, both Republican and Democrat, in building and sustaining peace on the island of Ireland. The enduring bipartisan support from Congress for Ireland. That continuing US engagement helped achieve last week's weekend's return of the Northern Ireland Assembly and Executive after two years of suspension, something I was pleased to discuss with Special Envoy Kennedy in Ireland last Friday and with senior U.S. figures in Washington this week. U.S. businesses are investing in the North, taking advantage of its unique position in both the United Kingdom and European Union single markets. We now have a fresh opportunity to help Northern Ireland achieve its potential. We can do this by helping the Assembly and the Executive with their business and by working the Good Friday Agreement across all of its three strands, relations within Northern Ireland, on the island of Ireland and between the islands of Ireland and Great Britain. And my government remains committed to this. I know the United States and the Irish in America are also committed to this important task. I do not take that American commitment for granted. It comes from a special place, a bond forged in the hardest of times. The stories of so many Irish-American families find their origin in a departure, a journey west from a home broken by hunger. And while they met with challenge on this farther shore, they worked hard and worked very hard. Here in Illinois, they built the railroads, dug the canals, they cared for the homes of others, they educated their children. America gave the Irish opportunity, and the Irish in America passed that sense of opportunity forward from one generation to the next. That is the story of so many Irish-American families, no doubt many of your own families here. And in so doing, Irish-America did not forget its roots, where it came from. 
It is this experience that makes Chicago as much an Irish city as an American one. A place where our shared story gains richness and life. As I said to Mayor Johnson earlier today, as Ireland's Tónishta and Minister for Foreign Affairs, I wanted to come to Chicago to recognise the importance of this place as an engine that helps power the Irish-American relationship. And it is an impressive relationship. We enjoy a mutually beneficial and highly integrated trade relationship, taking goods, services, investment, income flows and jobs into account. Our trade and investment figures are impressive, but it is when we look at jobs supported in our two economies that we really see the value of the depth of our partnership. There are over 950 US companies in Ireland, 50 from Chicagoland area alone. These firms employ over 200,000 people directly and some 160,000 indirectly in cities and towns right across the country. For so many of these firms, Ireland acts as a bridge between the United States and the European single market, a market of 440 million people. It is important to recognise that trade and investment flows are very much two-way. There are currently 900 Irish-owned companies exporting to the United States, three-quarters of these having a full-time presence in the U.S., ranging from a single-person sales office to manufacturing operations with thousands of employees. Irish companies employ over 100,000 people across all 50 states. The value of foreign direct investment from Ireland into the U.S. is valued at $240 billion, a quarter of a trillion dollars making Ireland the ninth highest contributor of foreign direct investment into the United States. A striking figure made all the more striking for Ireland's size, half the size of Illinois, with a population similar to Cook County. The Midwest is home to over 100 Irish companies employing over 24,000 people across sectors including agriculture, food and beverage, ICT, life sciences and manufacturing. Following our luncheon, I will be meeting with Governor Prixkirt today, and I proudly tell him that Irish companies employ close to 7,000 people in over 60 locations right across the state of Illinois. These flows of investments and numbers of jobs are the result of the endeavour and innovations of our businesses, supported by the tireless work of officials from the City of Chicago, and particularly World Business Chicago, and State of Illinois, and by Ireland's uh, state trade promotion agencies, IDA Ireland and Enterprise Ireland. Some of the Chicago-based IDA and EI teams join us here today, and I thank them for their tireless work to ensure that our trade relationship continues to grow and to deliver for all of our people. A trade relationship that is as beneficial to the people of Chicago as it is to those of my own native Cork. Taking a closer look at Irish investment into the US, right here in Illinois, Irish companies across a range of sectors have significant presences in the state, including Aerogen, the world leader in ventilator nebulizers who have their US headquarters not one mile from where we sit. Icon, a world-leading clinical research organisation, and CombiLift, which manufactures forklift technologies that keep global trade flowing. Irish agri-food brands such as Kerry Group, Ornua and Glambia have major manufacturing facilities in Chicago and the wider Midwest region. Glambia Performance Nutrition, based in Chicago, is the number one sports nutrition company in the world. Ornua North America is the home of Irish brands such as Kerrygold and the Dubliner Cheese. Our new and North America's head office is just located north of the city. Some 60 companies supported by Enterprise Ireland establish new presences in the United States each year. Ireland's innovative companies use the opportunities here in the US, in Illinois and in Chicago and are keen to invest. Looking to Illinois and to Chicago, the Irish government too shares this sense of opportunity. A city that played such a core part in the founding of the Irish-American partnership has a central role in the future strength of that relationship. So it is for the strength of our foundations, 
the depth and breadth of our relationship and the scale of our opportunities that I'm proud to announce that we will be opening Ireland House Chicago in October this year. Ireland... Ireland Ireland House Chicago will be the focal point of Ireland's presence in the Midwestern United States. It will provide a platform for the government's engagement across this region, which forms such a central part of Ireland's relationships with the United States. The development will take place under the government's Global Ireland Initiative, which aims to double the scope and impact of Ireland's global footprint by 2025. Ireland House Chicago will be the largest investment ever made by the Irish state in Illinois and is a signal of the government's commitment to deepening its relationship with and expanding its presence in the Midwest. The new offices are at the top top of the magnificent mile, will be home to the Consulate General of Ireland, and I want to thank Kevin Byrne, our Consulate General, who's been leading this project. Uh, It's a beautiful location, uh, and as I said to him, Everybody who succeeds him into the future will have fond memories of him for the excellence of the choice of uh, the location itself. But in general, Kevin, thank you for all the work you've been doing for Ireland uh, as Council General. And Ireland House will host the economic and trade promotion agencies uh, in, in, in the U.S. This will provide a central hub for diplomacy, economic and cultural promotion in Chicago, uh, Illinois, and the wider Midwest. Ireland House Chicago will be one of several world cities that will host an Ireland House alongside London, New York, and Tokyo. I know that once Ireland House opens its doors, that our team here looks forward to welcoming you in with as much warmth as I have been welcomed to this great city. The very best wishes for you all into the future. Thank you very much indeed. Well, thank you, Tanish, for your incredible remarks and, more importantly, your investment in our amazing city, Chicago. It is truly my honor and privilege to have this opportunity to share conversation with you here with the City Club and leaders of our great city. Um, So, again, thank you. And thank you for sharing uh, the incredible announcement about bringing um, Ireland House to Chicago. Uh, We are so proud to be your partner in that effort and are incredibly grateful as Chicagoans for your continued commitment and support of our city. And also, we're celebrating what 100 years of Ireland and the U.S. diplomatic relations, and for that, we are also grateful. Now, you had the opportunity this morning to meet with our mayor, and you'll be meeting with our governor uh, this afternoon. So, would love to hear a little bit about what that your message was to Mayor Johnson, and we'll be um, with our governor. Well, for, for, um, it was a very good meeting, a uh, very warm meeting, um, and uh, I think we were both former teachers, uh, so it was a good start, and we, <laughs> we discussed education. And Excellent. Sort of best approaches, early, early stage education, uh, but then we discussed housing, and he was particularly interested in some of the models that we have adopted in respect of affordable housing back in Ireland, because we've had a very severe housing challenge and crisis and we develop an overarching program housing for all so there are some interesting initiatives under that umbrella which deal with uh, that middle group for whom housing is difficult to afford and how we've intervened to provide opportunities so he's particularly interested in that Uh, we discussed we thank the mayor's office for the work uh, that they do in respect of Patrick's Day Parade and just a general facilitation of the Irish American community. Uh, and we discussed wider challenges um, uh, as well in terms of uh, the development of cities. Um, and I invited him, of course, uh, to Ireland and he gave a shout out to Galway. Oh, excellent. <laughs> Very good. Very good. You have, you've spearheaded a shared Ireland initiative, which I think we can all 
take lessons from. Um, and really the genesis of it or the idea is to address and support common or shared issues that are essentially borderless, right? And can you share with us a bit about that yeah. initiative that you have driven? The, it's, it's the Shared Island Initiative, mm-hmm. and it, it, it's developed without prejudices, without prejudice to one's constitutional preference in terms of the island of Ireland. And the idea being uh, that, that we would develop a sort of pragmatic approach to how best can different traditions share the island of Ireland? How can we resolve issues of mutual concern? And there are three strands. The Irish government put €1 billion to one side and said we would spend a billion on this programme on infrastructural projects and other capital projects and initiatives. That's that one strand. Already funding has gone into the completion of the Ulster Canal, for example, which will benefit tourism on the entire island. Uh, Over €40 went into research projects that are designed to solve issues that are mutually problematic, so uh, cancer diagnosis using uh, the blood system and so on, and and that calibration has to be between universities in the south and in the north. Uh, And then there's a dialogue strand, which is very interesting, where we, uh, people with specific topics or age cohorts, get together and we say to them, what what do you think of the future, and particularly young people, so we have an all-island youth forum now. Many of them born long after the Good Friday Agreement. And we kind of assume that they might be thinking the same way we're thinking, but we shouldn't assume that. So we sort of say, you go off now and you have your discussions. Um, We have an all-island women's forum has been established as a result of the dialogue strand. Uh, And we um, we have a climate change biodiversity network formed on the island now. And essentially, Seamus Mallon, when he published his book, uh, I was at the reception, and he made a comment that kind of stayed with me when he said, my neighbour has been 400 years, obviously from the planter background, yeah. it's been 400 years living alongside of me. I reckon it's about time we learned how we, how, how we share this space together. And I thought it was a very impactful idea. And in many ways, the shared island idea is founded on that. The third, third strand is research. In, in not, not so much the research between the universities, but we commission bodies to do research on different systems north and south. So, for example, the Economic and Social Research Institute in Ireland did a study on school completion rates in the Republic and in the north of Ireland. Uh, in the Republic or higher, why is that? So that has enabled us to get the two departments of education together to work on a programme that would help to increase school completion in marginalised communities in north of Ireland. And we too can learn from the north in respect um, of that issue. We did joint research, we commissioned research on the services sector in the economy, north and south. And many people assumed they knew things. And one of the big issues in a situation like Northern Ireland and the, the, the various sets of relationships, uh, we have an awful lot more to learn from each other. And when I was a young TD, a young member of Parliament, um, and I would have grown up in a Cork with strong sort of nationalist views and Republican views, and we, we thought the issue was very simply Brits out, and that would solve everything. But, mm-hmm. it took so long, but I remember as a young university student visiting the North, and I met every single political um, party and groups and social workers and all of that. But I remember being in the unionist households and young unionists saying to me, you know, how would you like it? And a few expletives thrown in. <laughs> if your dad or your uncle uh, was being killed because of the uniform they're wearing. So I went back down thinking about that for a long time. And then when I became a member of parliament, we used to have these um, Chatham House rules um, get-togethers with people from different backgrounds and different traditions and unionist tradition. I remember one famous one in Coromila, um, the Antrim Coast, uh, and Ian Paisley didn't turn up in the end, and he was meant to, uh, but he, he, was, he was up manoeuvring his colleagues in the official unionist party. But anyway, 12 unionist member public reps and 12 and Enda Kenny was there as well before he became teacher. And I also remember we were asked to put up on the blackboard everything we thought about unionists. That was terrible. And they put the same thing up on their blackboard in another room. There was Quakers who were doing this kind of reconciliation. And we said to the facilitator, give us five minutes to get out of here before they see what we've written. <laughs> That's um, but what was interesting was like, our, we, we believed in mythologies about each other. So anyway, it's a long way of saying you've got to try and understand where the other person's coming from. 
get to understand what, what, what their perspective is, what motivates them. Um, and um, very close to that is the Bobby Kennedy, the, the 13 days on the Cuban Missile Crisis. They always right. talk with me, and his message at the end, it was about te- lessons for diplomacy. Always get into the head of the other side. And you've got to work out how that person can find a way, understanding the constraints they're under, uh, to a safer place and to a place that we can agree on. And so that's, that's a great message for that. all of us, yeah. certainly. So thank you for that. So moving to, you had mentioned global instability. And my understanding from the Consul General is that since the war in Ukraine started, Ireland has welcomed almost 100,000 Ukrainian refugees, mostly women and children. Can you share with us what the greatest challenges have been and how you see forward resolution? Yeah, I, mean, I think, I think this, it's a very interesting juncture in, 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 in Irish history and Irish response to essentially a, a, Euro, a war on European soil. Um, and the European Union is a bro- part of a broader European Union response um, whereby under the European it's a protective directive um, uh, in a time of war. Basically, uh, Ukrainians can come to any part of Europe uh, and immediately get accommodation, uh, albeit it's not ideal. You know, it's kind of in the hotels or various mm-hmm. apartments. Social protection, okay. opportunities to work, uh, and they're refugees, essentially. And, um, and in many ways, it's part of our resistance to Putin's uh, endeavor. Putin uses migration as a leverage to destabilize. He uses it as a weapon. But more fundamentally, at the the beginning of the war, we all saw the terrible, horrific photographs of separation of children and families being poured on trains, if you remember. And I was in Kiev, and I saw, you know, they have an exhibition in the train station. And sometimes you can forget it. You know, you can forget the images, but they're powerfully displayed of the anguish uh, and so forth. So, So basically... Uh, and the Irish people responded well. Some Irish people who had uh, a spare house or whatever gave up their th- those houses to accommodate Ukrainians. And the state has housed about 70,000. And that is challenging. And it's, thankfully, we're in a surplus situation economically that we've been able to f- finance this. Uh, and, and I said earlier, we're in the midst of a housing crisis as well, so you can understand the challenges. But Irish people generally were very responsive to this and okay. very supportive, and communities were. Our education system was particularly supportive. Uh, teachers worked very hard to bring Ukrainian children into our schools, integrate them as quickly as we could. Um, and um, I think in the, in the fullness of time, it will be seen uh, as a very good moment in, 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 our, in Ireland's history as a society. Now, parallel with that, we've had a five-fold increase in those seeking asylum under uh, the international rules, and you are no different in, in Chicago, and the world globally is feeling the impact of migration more generally. Right. Uh, that's creating challenges, um, just as it is here, and as it is all over the world. Um, and to me, the, so- the source is conflict, climate change as well, but predominantly bad governance around the world, wars, um, and so on. And we've got to try and work collectively to correct the issue at source, in my view. Uh, And that means further investment uh, in our development aid programs to make life worthwhile for people living in the Middle East and Africa and across the globe. Ukrainian is, is, is a special situation because it's the first war since World War II on European soil. Um, and we simply had to respond to a humanitarian crisis. I mean, 12 million people have been displaced in, from uh, Ukraine. Uh, it, it really is shocking. And it is part of the Putin agenda to try and undermine the stability of Europe. Right. Mm. Well, let's turn to um, some positive news from your perspective. Um, I'm understanding, as we spoke earlier, that you have seen uh, your international tourism return maybe more aggressively than it has here locally. Um, So we'd love to hear a bit more about that and what you think has contributed to that. Um, And I'll give you just a quick glimpse of... um, tourism in Chicago. So um, we welcomed 54.4 million visitors to Chicago in 2023. 52 million were domestic and about 2 million 
international. Um, at Navy Pier specifically, because I have to throw it in, um, <laughs> Navy Pier, which is a world-class civic space and uh, resource for the community that welcomes about 9 million guests from across the street and around the world. Um, we were down about, I'll call it 9%, um, from 2019. Just this last year, we welcomed 7.9 million and um, the majority of that is, or actually the whole balance of it, is um, tourism. And a portion, about 5% of that, is um, international tourism. But you had shared that your tourism has um, been, There's been a, off the charts. <laughs> so There's been a huge bounce back yes. after COVID. And I, because I was... Taoiseach or Prime Minister during COVID and we met all the airlines because we had to do all sorts of support to keep the airlines going keep uh, the airports going as well and they were all predicting sort of 24, 25 for a bounce back I think they, like they, we are but they woefully underestimated I mean once COVID ended people just wanted to get moving <laughs> right that's, that's true and, but our tourism figures have gone way up uh, 2023, Fulch Ireland, which is the Irish agency, uh, and I don't have specifics, we're reporting um, a substantial increase in visitors into Ireland. Aer Lingus are having tremendous success in Cleveland to Dublin. Um, yes, huge that's success. correct. So, in that, is that yeah, the. Aer Lingus's biggest, um, best performing route. And it's the only direct route, right? Out of Europe. Cleveland to Europe. I yes. understand, yeah, which I, yes. I find incredible. But um, well, and then they're yeah, going to open 94%. up the Twin Cities routes to the uh, and and Denver as well. So it really has um, rebounded. And it has rebounded. Yes, yeah. terrific. We had we had a very significant economic rebound from COVID. Now some of that could have been obviously um, you know we, we had pumped a lot of uh, wage subsidy and so on into the economy uh, and, and so there was um, very high consumer spending and so on but, there's a, but, but also during COVID because of the presence of medical device companies and um, the, the, the Pfizer's and the vaccines and Medtronic and Boston Scientific that sector grew exponentially during COVID and after COVID and we got a lot of inward investment um, on the I would say on the back of COVID as a result of COVID. Now that's evening down and settling down now because everything has settled down in terms of vaccine production and various sort of medicine production. So uh, I was up at a small SME company um, there earlier um, in, in terms of, um, I think he's here, Vincent Ford. Um, but he, it's just an example of how Ireland, I said to him, you're in the right business. He's developed um, uh, uh, um, a, a mechanism whereby you take air bubbles out of IV lines. It's revolutionary. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And so this is fantastically, radically revolutionary. He's on a VC round at the moment. Um, and um, uh, it's going to be, most people here are very enthused by it. But the point I'm making is I said, food and medicine, <laughs> they're always a safe bet uh, right. economically. And uh, we did well on those sort of pillar parts of the economy and we've a strong agri-food sector but it has bounced back and um, one of the challenges we had in terms of accommodating lots of Ukrainians we took up a lot of smaller hotel space to stay procure them but nonetheless the, the market has grown that's terrific well congrats and we hope to follow in your footsteps you. there so why, I'll, I'll take a few of the questions that were pre-submitted um, and share those with you and hope for some answers. And then just so that everyone knows that Tom Shea would like to spend time walking around and meeting and greeting you. So stick around after. Um, but know that um, he wants to spend time. And for that, we are truly grateful. A couple of questions. So Amy Campbell from University of Illinois, Chicago, asks, how has Brexit impacted security in Ireland? Um, it, it hasn't really impacted security in, in Ireland. Um, and, I mean, we're part of the European Common Defence and Security um, Policy. Um, one, I mean, I think the UK aligns with the EU in respect of security policies and the invasion of Ukraine has concentrated the mind a lot in terms of forging a more common purpose between Europe 
and the United Kingdom, which is a good thing, and Ireland welcomes um, that. Independently, and because of the Russian invasion, and because of um, a, a terrible um, cyber attack on our health system in the middle of COVID by a, the Conti group from Russia, kind of a criminal organization, which paralyzed it, we're, we're, we're much more focused on cyber security, and we have a national center for security, which we're funding a lot, and we collaborate uh, with the NATO Centre in Estonia, um, all the countries come together to share expertise and knowledge around how do you how do you deal with a cyber attack on utilities and so on, and then uh, subsea marine cable or maritime cables is okay. we've seen some stuff going on because of the Ukrainian war, so those are our immediate uh, sort of vulnerabilities, and. I had a forum last year in my capacity as Minister of Defence for the first time really to get a debate going in Ireland about security challenges, foreign policy agenda. It was very well attended, tremendous contributions to sort of create a new level of awareness among the Irish people about the modern era and how we should conduct ourselves internationally and globally. And I think that is yielding new perspectives. But the two areas we're concentrating on are those, cyber and maritime security. Makes sense. And then we're investing in our capabilities. Terrific. Brian Lance from Driehaus Enterprise Management asks, according to the Irish Times, reforming the Irish insurance sector is not being done quickly enough to prevent businesses from closing down, particularly hotels. Would you provide us with an update? I would. Um, I disagree with that. I think insurance. There's been dramatic insurance reform um, in terms of new guidelines for the courts, um, uh, the reform of the Personal Injuries Assessment Board. Awards have come down. Now, I think it's a fair point that uh, premium should come down. The cost of premium should come down, given that the overall environment is much better now, um, and we we're, we're increasing competition in the market as well. Um, and um, there are wider issues around costs that we've got to be mindful of all of the time, particularly in retail and, and hotels. But I think insurance, the reform program has been impressive, if I say so myself, right. over the last two and a half years. In terms of what we are asked to do by the industry, what we are asked to do by the consumer, people generally who objectively analysed this and said, you have factors that are increasing costs. We've dealt with all of those legislatively and with initiatives, which means I think there has to be a response from the industry now uh, to, to, to reflect that in, in terms of the price. I'm not sure that the price of insurance is causing hotels to close. No. And, and that we don't have, like we've new hotels opening up and so on. So, Okay, thank you. Melinda McCrary from Chicago History Museum asked, Chicago is home to many descendants of the Irish diaspora. We all hope for our homeland to be reunited. We already... Really well, talked think, about that, but yeah, I think we talked about that in the context mm-hmm. of the shared island. I mean, I believe in the unity of the Irish people. Um, I think the first thing that needs to happen is that the executive that's just been restored last yes. week need to get to work um, and need to, I think, demonstrate that politics works. Um, and because the people in Northern Ireland have become sceptical of the institutions, uh, the assembly and the executive, right. and, the, and the politicians who've been elected need to show them that politics works and that people from different traditions can work effectively together over a reasonable period of time. Um, the world is changing and, and will continue to evolve, and I uh, believe in the evolution pathway. Um, and essentially, in the Wolf Tone tradition, um, get people from different backgrounds and traditions working together effectively. Uh, that, that's my Absolutely. that's my sort of vision of the thing, of, of, of it. Um, and um, I keep I mentioned earlier my background. I became involved in politics because of Northern Ireland because I was eight years of age when the trouble started. So in my early childhood years and teenage years, all I had on the news, and there was only one channel at the time, was bombs and bullets and people getting killed and, and terrible mm-hmm. atrocities. Yeah. I never thought it would end. The Good Friday Agreement was a miracle. George Mitchell did extraordinary work. I said yesterday at a speech I gave that he, he described the peace process or the negotiations as 700 bad days and one good day. <laughs> <laughs> but that one good day we shouldn't forget. And we should sort of work... My view is we should work on the, the potential of the Good Friday Agreement and fully optimizing that potential. It hasn't been done yet to the degree that I would have liked and that's where my focus is. Well, we, we support you in that. <laughs> Finally, what lesson or lessons can we learn from our ancestors of the Great Famine era that still resonate today? 
I think resilience, which I think <laughs> oh, is in the Irish good. gene, uh, resilience. I think we agree, right? Uh, and hard work ethic. Um, we had an amusing conversation yesterday or yeah, morning in Washington, but I won't go into the details because younger members mm-hmm. of staff were advancing all sorts of ideas about working weeks and so on. <laughs> well, myself and the Secretary General had different views. We're a different generation. <laughs> I think but, many of us but, uh, might the have work, the same perspective. The work ethic matters, I think. I, I keep saying to young people, I was a teacher, when I go into schools mm-hmm. today and people want to do this, that, and people say, well, how did you make progress and how did you? I said, it's very simple, hard work. And you, you don't achieve in life or you don't make progress in life if you're not prepared to work hard. I don't mean to sound old-fashioned, but that's kind of a basic truism. Uh, and, and you're happy in your work and do what you love, uh, I keep saying to young people. That resilience, I was reading about Mother Jones, and there's a statue yes. going to be erected to her. And she emigrated from Cork, uh, a labor rights uh, activist, and um, married her, lost her four children to yellow fever, I think. Yeah. and kind of came at it again in a different guise on, on labour rights and so on like that. And there's a statue going to be um, um, put together for her in her honour. Uh, and uh, I'm delighted that a cock woman is going to be in a statue right. <laughs> uh, in pride of place in Chicago. I mean, that's... I jokingly said to my media or the people here from Irish media that uh, just shows the global reach of Cork people, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Forgiveness to the Mayo people who are in the audience. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you, Thomas. Today we're so thrilled that you were able to spend time with us, and we know you're looking forward to um, greeting everyone pretty much individually. But I also want to thank the Council General and City Club for gathering us all together and sharing such a, an incredible program. And now I would like to introduce my dear friend. Grace O'Connor, who is our 2024 St. Patrick's Day Parade Queen. And her entire court. Oh, good to see you, Lisa. Thank you so much, Marilyn. Uh, Marilyn's really a mentor of mine, a, a role model, and as you can tell by that conversation, she's an absolute rock star. So thank you so much. I also would like to thank each of you for being here today. Uh, being a lifelong Chicago and speaking at the City Club is a real honor. So thank you to Dan Gibbons, who we know is not here today because his wonderful wife, Kate, is receiving an award, and I'm not surprised at all. They are a fantastic couple that really loves our city. I'm also honored to serve as the 2024 Chicago St. Patrick's Day Parade Queen. My lovely court is here as well. And we would like to warmly invite you to march with us in the parade. Uh, March 16th, we kick off around noon at Columbus and Balbo. We cannot wait to see you there. Plumbers Local 130 has been proudly supporting the parade and dyeing that river green for 69 years now. And uh, I might be biased, but this is going to be the best one yet. (laughs) So welcome. Please come out with your families. We'll see you then. Thank you so much, uh, Grace or Queen. Um, I have so much to learn to be able to say things properly here. I cannot thank you enough for your presence today. Um, I've learned so much. Thank you, Tanjana. This has been, I'm going to go back and listen again so that I can make sure I didn't miss anything. And we want to allow him the opportunity to come around and meet everyone and shake hands as appropriate before he has to leave for a very important meeting. Um, We don't want to keep the governor waiting. Amanda, have I forgotten anything? Okay, well, I will call the meeting adjourned, but let's continue to move around the room as attention has time. Thank you so much for being here.